0: She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: We know that Donald Trump has surrounded himself and possibly given instructions to Michael Cohen, someone who he has trusted for a very long time. Mm-hmm. We know that Donald Trump is engaged in this behavior. This is just, you know, a con that's gone a little too far. Now the federal government is
2: involved. Mister Lanny Davis had his client plead guilty to two offenses that aren't offenses, that the prosecutor
3: insisted were offenses, that's why he's no good. I think the American people have a right to expect on a bipartisan basis that the investigation will be thorough on both sides. Exactly. You know, despite what the New York Times and Vanity Fair and all the usual suspects want want to make of this, this is only part of the story.
2: We got to live with it. We got to get used to it. We're going to live with fake news. There's too many sources. You can't have censorship. You can't pick one person and say, well, we don't like what he's been saying, he's out. So we'll live with fake news. I mean, I hate to say it, but we have no choice because that's by far the better alternative. We believe in the right of Americans to speak their
0: minds. And now, Stacy Washington.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we're supposed to be wearing sackcloth and ashes because a couple of people were uh, either did a plea deal or were found guilty of doing things on the tax side and the uh, campaign finance side, but still not sick of winning, still no evidence of collusion on the part of the president, still no evidence of obstruction of justice. So basically, the witch hunt has branched off into a bunch of other avenues, and we've still not had anyone looking at, especially on the Mueller team, uh, the impetus for the dossier or any of that other stuff. And what am I talking about? Well, I see everyone is, you know, dancing with their little cloven hooves about this idea that possibly Donald Trump has been implicated in a plea arrangement. Really? So we have some audio on that. Uh, We have audio from Mark Levin on Fox News explaining exactly what is and what isn't uh, the real deal about Cohen's plea deal. And of course, Paul Manafort, you know, found guilty of, of decades old uh, tax evasion charges and things like that. A bunch of the accounts just tossed out, mistrial. So, yeah, there's a lot of news to cover. Here's what's going to happen today. First, we're going to get we're going to break out this Mark Levin audio, and we're going to talk about the legal expertise um, that he's providing on Fox about this breaking story about these two individuals who were in Trump world. One very briefly, as in Manafort and Cohen. Uh, you know, longtime. Uh, lawyer and private attorney for the president. And what exactly does all of that mean? I loved Mark Levin's breakdown. We're going to do that. And then we're going to talk about the credibility of the Mueller probe. According to Maria Bartiromo of Fox News, there is no credibility there. We'll take your calls during the second segment. And then in the third segment, we're going to rev this show up to 110 miles per hour with Ann Coulter. Her new book is out. I have my copy, Resistance is Futile. It's how the Trump-hating left lost its collective mind. Boom! Awesome. Can't wait to talk to her about this. She's going to be on with us in the last segment, and then we're going to come back with hour two, and we're going to just kind of wind our way around um, the Molly Tibbetts story, which is it's a tragedy, but there are a few salient points that have to be made here, and I'm just I'm still trying to get over. How much vitriol I've seen online social media by people like they look like normal people from their Twitter feeds. I'm not talking about bots or or trolls, people with four followers. I'm talking about people with blue check marks who've had things to say about Molly Tibbetts being killed. That honestly, if you were on the right and you said this about somebody being killed, you'd be run out of town on a rail. But leftists have different standards. And then we're going to talk about Claire McCaskill. Um, She's under the microscope now here in the state of Missouri for her Senate seat. And she says it's going to be a close race. And she has a few things to say about um, how perfect she has to be. Uh, that's news to us Missourians, because she's been voting against the will of the people of Missouri for the entire time she's been in the Senate. But, I mean, if she's going to be perfect now, better late than never. So right now, let's dig into this. We have Mark Levin. He's talking about the the revelations that have come forward. And, it again, it's all, like, third-hand, because we're hearing from... Um, the, uh, this attorney, this, this Clinton world, you know, this is a guy, some, he's been in the Clinton world for decades. Um, he's been out on all of the shows, just saying all the most outrageous things, but we're talking about a plea deal. Now, what's the difference between a conviction as we see in the Manafort case and a plea arrangement that's been made to prevent, um, you know, a, a, a trial from occurring, there's a huge difference legally, and so instead of taking it for me, not a lawyer, don't play one on TV, let's listen to Mark Levin, number five.
2: All right, I want to address Michael Cohen. How did we get to that? I want to help the law professors, the constitutional experts, the criminal defense lawyers, the former prosecutors, and of course, the professors. I want to help them understand what the law is. The general counsel for the Clinton mob family, Lanny Davis, he had his client plead to two counts of criminality that don't exist. These campaign finance violations that all over TV, they're saying implicates the president of the United States directly. First, let's back up. It is a guilty plea. It is a plea bargain between a prosecutor and a criminal. A criminal who doesn't want to spend the rest of his life in prison. That is not precedent. That applies only to that specific case. Nobody cites plea bargains for precedent. That's number one number two just because a prosecutor says that somebody violated a campaign law doesn't make it so he's not the judge he's not the jury we didn't adjudicate anything it never went to court that's number two
4: okay so since it didn't go to court and since there's no, this doesn't create a precedent so the fact that michael cohen has alleged all of these things against the president, it still remains to be his word against the president's. And none of the statements that he's made are going to be this is not settled law that the president has done anything. And if if it were to go to trial against the president, if there was to be some kind of impeachment hearings or something like that, it's Michael Cohen's word against the president of the United States. And any supporting evidence that Michael Cohen might have and any supporting evidence that the president might have to prove the veracity of what they're stating is their is their side of the the event, their side of the story. So that's important. Uh, what we're hearing and seeing all over media, at least what I've seen all last night and this morning is a bunch of people on the left gleefully hopping around and you know doing all kinds of backflips and and celebratory hand claps because they think this amounts to some ironclad indictment of President Trump. No, this amounts to Michael Cohen saying uh, under advice of counsel, which it sounds like his counsel wasn't that hot. He, He didn't he didn't have the best legal representation. They want something they can use to impeach the president. So they've thrown Michael Cohen under the bus with his own permission in order to get that. And it remains to be seen whether or not that will actually come to fruition. Meanwhile, It doesn't amount to anything tangible against the president unless Mueller comes forward with an indictment or some kind of report to Congress that would then cause Congress to impeach. Now, in my opinion, this looks like a lot of saving face. It looks like Mueller trying to have something that he can convict someone in Trump world of that he can say he flipped him. And then that person can provide testimony against the president. But without corroborating evidence, what is it really? But more hearsay, more I can't stand the fact that the pantsuit of America didn't win the presidency, so Donald Trump's evil, he's a Nazi, he's also guilty of something, let's just figure out what it is. I, and for anybody who's in the audience who thinks, well, that's what he deserves, is it what you deserve? Remember, our rule of law in this country is based upon innocent until proven guilty, and that all are equal under the law, that justice is blind. So if you think politically motivated prosecutions of individuals is a good thing, then please cue yourself up and be prepared for your turn. If you don't think that's right, if you think that the justice that is given out to people should be equal regardless of their political statue, their position, their job, their ethnicity, their gender, two genders, hope you're triggered. If you believe that, then you should see something wrong with this. Fruit of the poisonous tree should apply because The dossier, which was used to begin all of the listening that was done, all of the spying that was done, was provided by the opposing political campaign and paid for by the opposing political candidate. So what are we even still doing talking about this? Well, we have to talk about this because otherwise we need to talk about Molly Tibbetts and how she was killed by an illegal immigrant. Another Kate Steinle, only different part of the country. Or we have to talk about the booming economy and all the things the president has been doing that have improved the lives of Americans in tangible ways. We have to talk about his uptick in support from the black community. We have to talk about the reduction in regulations. We have to talk about, maybe talk about the the huge omnibus spending bill that nobody who's on the right who cares about government spending and actually doing something about our deficit likes that spending bill. We're wondering, is the president going to go back and clean that up? And but. He needs to seat a new Congress first. We need to get through the midterm so we can see if we can get some people who have enough cojones to actually do something to actually support the president in their votes and not be worried about whether or not they're going to be reelected or who's going to say mean things about them on cable TV. But, I, you know, goodness gracious, what, do I, what am I doing? How can we talk about any of those things when we just need to sit around and twiddle our thumbs and if wishes were stars and stars were unicorns and we could ride unicorns off into the sunset then yeah, we'd have a guilty president and we'd be looking at, you know, Vice President Pence. But that's not what's happening here. We've still seen no evidence that the president has colluded on anything. So here's Mark Levin talking about the kind of legality. And obviously there've been some statements made by Rudy Giuliani that contradict what Michael Cohen has said has happened in the chain of events surrounding these payments to these women that the president had these relationships with in the precursor to the 2016 campaign. Regardless of that, it's not illegal to make agreements with people for their silence. It's illegal to do so to influence an election. And I think that's the crux of the issue here. It's number six.
2: A campaign expenditure under our federal uh, campaign laws is an expenditure solely for campaign activity. A candidate who spends his own money or even corporate money for an event that occurred not as a result of the campaign, it is not a campaign expenditure. Let me give a few examples to help people understand this, especially the American people. Let's say I wrote these down. Let's say a candidate had said, we owe vendors a whole lot of money. We've had disputes with them, but I want you to go ahead and pay them. I'm a candidate. I don't want all this negative publicity. So he says to his private lawyer, you pay them, I'll reimburse you, get it done. Is that illegal? It's perfectly legal. Yet, according to the prosecution of the Southern District of New York, it's paid at the direction of the candidate to influence an election. Yes, Mr. Prosecutor, how stupid is your point? It's not a crime. More. Let's say you know, this candidate settles a lawsuit that was initiated before he becomes a, uh, a candidate, and he says to his, his personal lawyer, I want you to pay settle that lawsuit you can use my corporate funds my private funds whatever it is that is perfectly legal too the prosecutor would say but that influenced the election
4: so what so was it done to influence the election and that that would be the big if here that would be the big question president trump did you ask for the payment to be made so that you could influence the election or so that you could get this out of the way so you could move forward with your campaign or or instead of leading questions, I'm sure that would be considered leading. Why did you ask your attorney to make this payment on your behalf so that you could reimburse him? What was the chain of events surrounding that? And then the proposed illegality or legality of the payment could be assessed. Obviously it is in Michael Cohen's best interest to make the assertion to Mueller and his team that this was done to influence the election because that gives the Mueller team what they want because they don't want to go home with egg on their faces after 500 days of investigating the president for collusion and trying to collude with the Russians specifically because last I checked Michael Cohen's not a Russian if we're looking for Russian collusion and how the Russian oligarchs worked with Donald Trump an agent of the Russian government to materially impact the election of the United States of America through hacking and use of WikiLeaks, how does Michael Cohen paying some you know, person from the past, from 10, 15 years before, how does that connect up? Now, I know, again, if wishes were unicorns, etc. liberals are going to be, they're already making up wild and improbable stories about how all of this connects together. But for those of us who are living in the real world and who we still remember the original reason why we need a special prosecutor, that's James Comey. James Comey, who was recently fired, James Comey. James Comey, who he doesn't have enough integrity to fill up a pinky, let alone enough for us to actually believe anything he says about this. He's the reason we have a special prosecutor, not because anything was actually done wrong, if they have any evidence of any wrongdoing. But please explain to me how this all connects up. We'll be back right after this, stay there.
3: When our health insurance renewal notice arrived last fall, my wife and I made the decision to drop our plan. With the monthly premiums and deductible, we'd have to pay $30,000 just to use it. So we did our homework and switched to MediShare the cost savings are incredible over five hundred dollars a month and we don't have to pay for services we don't need or don't agree with then out of the blue she had to have emergency surgery scary stuff hundred fifty thousand dollars in hospital bills and MediShare members took care of everything all we paid was our small portion I'm a doctor who's been in healthcare for 20 years and this is one of the most impressive programs I've ever seen Thank God she's fully recovered. And now we're telling everyone about MediShare.
0: Call 855 Psalm 23 to find out how much you can save on your health care. MediShare. Call 855
5: Psalm 23 That's 855 Psalm 23 Hi, I'm Crawford Luritz with a Legacy Moment. I want you to think of a Christian leader God has used in your spiritual formation. This person's ministry has enriched your life. Your walk with Christ is stronger because of him or her. Can you pinpoint what qualities in that leader really make the difference? Because I guarantee you, it takes more than education or talent to make a great leader. We see some key ingredients of a godly leader in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1-3. through Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the molten images. So what really made the difference in Josiah's life? Well, number one, he had the resolve to do what was right in the sight of God. I don't know where it came from, but somewhere along the line, he developed an insatiable appetite to do what was right before God. Number two, he resolved to seek Him and His wisdom. There was a moment-by-moment moment dependency upon God. He continually sought the Lord. Then thirdly, he resolved to courageously act based upon what God had told him to do. Well, Here's what I want you to remember today. What I just described is what biblical success and leadership is really all about. Determined to be a godly difference maker. Order your life and decisions based upon what God wants, and you will indeed make a difference.
3: You've been listening to Legacy Moment with Crawford Lawrence, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, and heard on the weekly program Living a Legacy. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org.
0: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here today. I am so excited about our interview that's coming up in the next segment. Right now, I want to talk about uh, the credibility of the Mueller probe. So first off, if you want to call into the show, uh, we can't do calls in the last segment because we're going to be speaking to Ms. Coulter about her book, Resistance is Futile. So excited about that. Right now, if you want to call into the show and talk about this um, the, the this whole idea that somehow a plea bargain implicates the president and makes him, it, it's like unindicted co-conspirator. I've even seen that. Um, the, let's talk about that. The call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Oh, my goodness. Okay, guess what, you guys? It's now. So... I'm turning off fangirl, Stacey, and going strictly into radio mode because I have to be professional to deal with what I consider to be one of the preeminent minds on political commentary on the right side of the political spectrum in America today. It's my pleasure to welcome Ann Coulter. She's a New York Times bestselling author 12 times over, and she's joining us today to talk about her latest book, The Resistance is Futile, How the trump hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind, and thank you for joining the show today.
6: Um, thank you. Can you turn my volume up?
4: <laughs> hey, I'm um, I'm gonna do my best on that, and I'm totally uh, so Devin to do that. Telephones, I can barely hear you. Okay, so is that any better? Is this better? Not really, but let's try a few questions because I'm a big <laughs> talker anyway. I know. So I and I really want everyone to hear you, Anne, because I'm I'm well into the book. I just got my hands on it. And as usual, oh good. these are always the best interviews. Yeah, so you you're skewering them in a way that only you can about the ridiculousness of what they're saying about the president and perfect timing with the issuance because now we we get to hear how the president is an unindicted co-conspirator because Michael Cohen <laughs> made a plea deal.
6: Um yes, yes, this is this is covered briefly and amusingly in my book. Um, you will be prepared for anything that happens with my book. Um, campaign finance violation, please give me a break um, this This uh, jaywalking is a greater threat to the public safety um, and as I say in the book if if what Trump had done were um, were even a campaign finance violation, in which case, oh, my gosh, you'd have to pay a fine. Um, then John Edwards would be on death row. Uh, he had um gazillionaire donors of his, as he was running for president, supporting the lifestyle, living habits, the homes, the food, and the newborn baby of John Edwards' mistress. Um, the, the the question you always need to ask yourself with the campaign finance laws. This is why many people think they're they're um, possibly unconstitutional and unenforceable, at least in some instances. Not in the egregious, you know, obvious um, straw straw contributor case, but 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 in terms of expenditures, was this a campaign expenditure? Well, would he have would would Trump have done this um, if he had not been running for president, or would he say? Oh, yeah, I don't care, even though my entire business depends on my name. Um, Trump is on all my buildings, my resorts. Oh, yeah, also I have a wife. I have a daughter. Um, I have this young son, Baron, not to say anything of his grown sons. What do you say? Ah, yeah, I don't care. I'll let this grifter. I'll pay her off and, and say... Let them think um, or not pay her off and just have her go around claiming that we had an affair, which may or may not be true, by the way. I assume this is a nuisance payment. $130,000 isn't a lot of money. The donors to John Edwards were spending millions of dollars to support his mistress. Now that he's not running for president, are they still funding her lifestyle? I don't think so. I think that was pretty clearly related to the fact that he was running for president and his wife was dying of cancer. Nonetheless. Nonetheless. That prosecution was widely ridiculed throughout throughout legal circles and legal publications, and of course, in the end, the jury acquitted him. Um, so, I mean, anything can be called a campaign um, a campaign expenditure. What if What if Trump spends money on um, hires a new florist for Mar-a-Lago? Because you know, how's it going to look if the guy running for president you walk into his big his big resort and the flowers are wilting. Well, that was for the campaign. I mean, you you can't do anything. What if he's sued by an employee for discrimination of some sort? He can't settle that case because oh, the only reason he's settling it is because he's running for president. These are extremely hard cases to prove. The left is is once again saying the noose is tightening. The noose is tightening. Uh oh, he's in trouble now. How many times have we been through this before? It's something I make fun of in my book. You know, at some point in resistance, the noose has got to tighten.
4: Absolutely. And so I knew you'd have the answer on that. And I also kind of figured, it, you know, obviously, I haven't had a chance to read the entire book, but I'm pretty, pretty deep into it. And one thing you're doing over and over again in the book is you're showing how if if it's a leftist who's doing this, the, the left doesn't care. They don't care what kind of finance laws are flouted. They don't care about anything. But if it's Donald Trump, it's a capital case. And one of the things you have, chapter seven, Hillary finally runs an effective campaign campaign. With our intelligence agencies. And this is something that has been largely unexplored on the left in the media, which is the connection between the Hillary Clinton campaign, the FBI, the DOJ, and this so-called investigation into collusion by the president uh, that's ongoing, the Mueller investigation.
6: Uh, yes, I write about, um, this is expanded with, with more quotes and proof in the book, but I have, um, this is the topic of, of my column that I just posted at anncoulter.com. It'll also be on dailycaller and Breitbart.com and various other um, reputable websites. <laughs> Yahoo, I think, still carries my column. In any event, um, the whole Russia collusion nonsense, it's, it's, this is an old... Game plan of Hillary's. Whenever she gets caught in a scandal, or her husband is caught in a scandal, or there's some sort of mess she needs to get out of, she would, is always imagining these apocryphal enemies conspiring against her. Um, going back at least as far as um, I guess is known nationally, she nationally she probably did in the state of Arkansas as first lady too, but we don't know about those cases. Um, when her husband was running for president um, in 1992, Jennifer Flowers steps forward. And Hillary says her response to the Jennifer Flowers um, allegations, which turned out to be true, by the way, was, this is all a man named Sheffield Nelson, who ran against my husband for governor, and he lost, and it's a good thing he lost, because he was a negative force in in Arkansas politics, and really, he's just a very bitter man. This Jennifer Flowers thing is, is all from him. It's a sad thing to see. Um, when she came into the White House, lays off the entire um, long-serving White House travel office staff. There's a huge hue and cry. It was so sleazy. She did it to make room for her friends. So it doesn't look good. She looks like Madame Defarge. Um, and as co- a consequence, she, she, her response is to accuse the head of the travel office, Billy Dale, of embezzlement. He is criminally prosecuted by the federal government, run by her husband. Acquitted in about 30 seconds, but left jobless and nearly bankrupt. Um, Of course, with the Monica Lewinsky scandal, again, turned out to be true. Uh, She went on the Today Show and blamed the the vast right-wing conspiracy conspiring against her. And it goes on and on and on. So when the WikiLeaks documents went up, and we still don't know whether it was the Russians or someone else, um, no evidence has been presented for that, by the way. Um, not that it matters if it was the Russians. Um, I still say so <laughs> what, but anyway, um, the, 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 documents go up on WikiLeaks. Democrats are horrified. They're embarrassed and are with Hillary. They're enraged with the DNC having fixed the primary election, um, against Sanders and for Hillary. So what does she do? She accuses the Russians of conspiring to stop her this mysterious enemy. Curiously, she'd never really said anything about Russia until then, um, other than to talk about the deep respect she and Vladimir Putin had for one another. But they needed some sort of enemy. They needed an enemy where Trump had, had done some sort of business, and he had the Miss Universe contest over there. Now, this is the most interesting thing. And then I will, I will, I will wrap up this little segment of the description of my book. When Robbie Mook, First launched the Russian conspiracy on the eve of the Democratic National Convention. At the time, the entire news media, including the news media des- desperately in love with Hillary Clinton, um, the the New York Daily News that kept putting Trump on its cover with it as a clown, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, they all scoffed at the claim. The New York Times in particular called it a remarkable moment, moment, saying never before had one presidential candidate accused another of being, of conspiring with a foreign power, Um, particularly Russia. And all these newspapers pointed out that all moot could cite was unnamed experts. So the media kind of covered for this. They didn't really report a lot on it. Hillary brought it up at debates, but everyone was sort of embarrassed by this insane conspiracy theory. It wasn't until disaster struck and Trump won the election that suddenly the media went back over their notes and decided maybe there's something to this Russia business after all. That's what we've been living with, just another Hillary conspiracy theory for the last two years.
4: I'm exhausted by it, Anne. I have to say, out of all the things I thought I would have to put up with for the rest of my natural life, I never thought it would be that Hillary Clinton would never go away, that the Clintons would constantly be running for office, and then they would pass the baton to Chelsea, which looks like we're really close to that happening. Um, in the book, you actually go into great detail, which is not a shock. If you, I've read others of your books, and it's amazing the level of detail and historical accuracy you're able to achieve but you actually lay out in that chapter, intelligence agencies, how all of this came together and none of it was important, except, as you just pointed out, when Trump won. Then all of a sudden it was like, well, wait a minute. We don't really like Russia because they loved Russia when Obama was president. So after we loved Russia,
6: when Russia was was engaging in mass murder and shooting down American planes. <laughs> They're <laughs> yes. staging gulags and show trials. Oh, they have loved Russia back when it was an actual threat to us. Now that it's just a normally corrupt
4: country. Oh, it's the most psychotically evil country in the world. It really, honestly, I, 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 I'm I, shocked because, remember, they loved it so much that when Barack Obama said, after my election, I'll be much more flexible to a Russian you know, government employee, They were like, that's nothing. He should be flexible. They're an ally. But now they're the devil. Meanwhile, China's raking us over the coals, and we're not getting any news about that. And then in your next chapter, let's skip ahead to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is called James Comey. Please fire me. Oh, my gosh. I'm being fired. I love the way you take him apart in here methodically, bit by bit, because he deserves it. I just wish more people would, number one, buy the book, get it on Audible so you can hear Anne read it to you in her own voice and then understand that James Comey is not just a bad employee. He's someone who's acting to subvert the rule of law in this country.
6: Yes, I mean, the the most interesting thing about the Comey chapter, which I hadn't really noticed until I went through, and um, I mean, what I do, because, because I don't have a job, is just read through years of New York Times articles, of transcripts of things like this. I have a nexus file, and boy have I used it to write this book. Um, and what was interesting, and to look at the hearings and how this thing, why do we have a special counsel? Why was he appointed? Well, he was appointed, Stacy, because of the lying insinuations of James Comey for 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 months as he's secretly telling Trump on the side, don't worry you're not we're not investigating you." He keeps hinting at Senate hearings that the president is under investigation. So when Trump fired Comey, All of the news was the New York Times with its echoes of Watergate. Everything's always an echo of Watergate when there's a Republican president. Echoes of Watergate. And and throughout the news media, it was Trump's under investigation. He fires the person investigating him. Well, as we now know, Trump was not under investigation. But why did we think he was under investigation? Because of the lying insinuations of James Comey. By the time two months later, when Comey finally admitted Trump wasn't under investigation, oh well, too late. We already appointed a special counsel. Hmm.
4: Okay, I don't know how much longer we have you. Are, are you here for the next segment or I'm part of the next segment? I'm in a
6: terrible rush,
4: Stacey, and also okay. I can barely hear you and it's driving me crazy. I would so
6: love um, to do this again maybe next week when I'm on a better phone and can hear you more clearly and I'm not Perfect. rushing.
4: You know what? I will take that definite appointment. We'll work that out in the background. I want to say thank you. Sorry about this audio. Thank you so much for coming on today. I've shown the book on the live stream. It's Ann Coulter, you guys. My first time interviewing her. I've fangirled. I've, I've held it in. You're like, you're, you're, you're so awesome. I don't even think you realize. Thank, thank you, you well, for coming on. you
6: what a pleasure it is to be interviewed by someone who's read even part of the book. It always makes the interview so much more fun.
4: Well, I'm going to finish it. And next week when we talk, I want to, I want you to explain the relationship between Black America and white America due to our shared cultural history with slavery and the Civil War and after that, and how it doesn't apply to illegal immigrants. That's the next time we talk. Thank yes. you, Anne. Thank you yes. so much for coming yes. on. Yes, yes.
6: That has always been the Republican position. A lot of Republicans have forgotten it, but I'm bringing it
4: back. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. The book is Resistance is Futile. And the author is Ann Coulter. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stacy. Talk to you next week. all right, talk to you then i i so first of all, we will fix this audio issue for i know I saw people online saying they could hear just fine, but I hate it when the guest can't hear because it 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 impacts the interview. I have to say I, I knew she was going to be fantastic. We had a little bit of a scheduling thing going back and forth because she's actually traveling um you know doing doing promotions for the book, and it was great of her to carve some time out for us today. Um, I'm, I'm going to be dining out on this for like at least a week. You, if you guys were at our table last night, you would have seen my husband and the kids. We're all eating and everybody's going through. We, we go through one at a time. Tell us you're good and you're bad for the evening. And so you, anything good that happened to you, anything bad, and you share it at the table. It's a great way to, you know, spur the conversation on. And I was like, um, tomorrow and Coulter, my show. And you, the the forks went down. Everyone turned and looked at me. I was like, what? <laughs> because we listened to Adios America in the car on one of our vacations and and um other books of hers. The kids have heard parts of it. And so I wasn't able to get my hands on the book until like early yesterday. And that's why I'm only about halfway through. But amazing to have her on the show. So really excited. In fact, what's exciting about the next segment is that I get to talk to you. So We're going to have a regular call-in segment. I need you guys to call in. Talk to me about what you heard with Ann Coulter. It's 866-963-2037. Be right back.
1: Part of growing in Christ is learning how to encourage others. In doing so, you always gain strength for your own journey. It's kind of like you can't pray for someone in earnest and remain angry at them. You may not like what they've done, but the presence of God has a way of sifting the wrath right out of you. You can't encourage someone else in your walk and remain numb to the encouraging words yourself. As you encourage others, you begin to see that all things are possible in Christ Jesus. Your obstacles become visibly obtainable. In this world of self-centeredness and all about me, be extraordinary. Don't be the norm. Each day, stop and take a me poll to determine just where you are in your walk with the Lord. Encourage your brother or sister in the Lord in that area and watch God do some amazing things in your life. Your deliverance is resting in the power of your time. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman Toni Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com
0: Abraham Hamilton III
1: God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment.
0: Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. My name's Antonio. My drinking had gotten to the point where I was embarrassed to go to the liquor store. But when I came to Teen Challenge, I finally broke the stronghold alcohol had on my life. Now I'm truly free. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a
3: chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk.
7: I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. So much for the August recess on Capitol Hill, or perhaps so much for the August session. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell initially planned to keep senators in Washington for most of the month, foregoing the customary and coveted five- to six-week August recess on Capitol Hill. But McConnell's summertime project didn't quite materialize. The Senate met on August 1st before seizing a nearly two-week summertime respite, returning for session at noon on August 15th. Then the Senate convened for less than an hour, recess, took a procedural vote late that afternoon, adjourned for the day, came back into session for a couple of votes the following day, and then cut town only to return this past Monday. The Senate was technically on the clock about 29 hours. Most senators weren't even in Washington 17 hours. McConnell's office portrayed the week as a hectic one. The leader's aide sent Capitol Hill reporters a memo with the subject line, quote, busy, busy. The missive declared that the Senate would remain in session the rest of August, despite, quote, rumors to the contrary. And what else is on the docket? McConnell's office says, quote, many other items. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News.
0: You can download episodes of Stacey of the Right from the podcast page on afr.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Okay, did you did you hear that? I was talking to Ann Coulter. So I've met her before, back in 2012. She probably doesn't remember this because her whole life is just. These, you know, writing the books, researching the books, and meeting so many people. But it was at CPAC 2012, and um, I was on the radio row. And I don't mean on it; like I wasn't. I didn't have a radio show back then. In fact, I just gotten started. My blog was brand spanking new; it wasn't even a year old. I'm there at CPAC, and I went down to Radio Row because everyone that that's where you get to meet people because. Everyone who's written a book or is, is a pundit of any kind and especially the most respected commentators go down radio row and they sit and, you know, it, it's whatever time you have available to have them on your show. So you keep your mics open and they come and they sit down and they talk to the radio hosts. And I knew a couple of the radio hosts who were on radio row that particular CPAC, but I was not working there at, in that capacity. Like I wasn't on radio. I did a couple of radio hits, but it was just like this is years ago. You guys It's 2012. My first CPAC ever. So I'm standing there and Alan West comes down. He starts sitting down in the chairs and getting interviewed. And in between, he stands up and he starts shaking people's hands. I turned. I was like, I'm Stacey Washington. Oh, my goodness. It's such an honor to meet you, sir. I'm a veteran, too. And he was like, amazing. Great to meet you. And we shook hands. And then after that, all of a sudden, there's like a lot of noise. You can hear people talking. And I glance down and I see Ann Coulter moving through and she starts sitting down. I mean, and we're talking about her person, whoever that was, that was with her assistant had her on a tight schedule. She would sit down for six or seven minutes and then up and on to the next person. And if you didn't have an empty chair for her, she went to the next radio show. And so in between all of that, I went down to the very end and I waited and she was getting up from the chairs and people were approaching her and I just waved and she turned to me and I said, hi, I'm Stacey Washington, and I'm a huge fan. And she said, oh, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, it, it, how many times have you been to CPAC? I said, oh, I've been here. This is my first time. I've never been here before. And um, we just talked for a split second. I don't even remember what else it was that we said. And then she said, well, I have to go. I'm on a tight schedule. And I was like, it's nice to meet you. She's just as tall and thin in, as, in person as, as it appears that she is on television. She's striking in person. And very, very friendly. What most people try to say about her is that she's unfriendly, rude, or what have you. She's not. She was really friendly. I I, I didn't see her frown once the whole time that I watched her move through the radio row. And there were other people there. Um, and she was just really personable and great. Just like she is on the radio. And I've heard so many of her other radio interviews on other stations, other hosts. And she's always the same. Information-packed and really fun to talk to. So it was, this was really an honor for me. Bucket list item, something that I'm just so uh, exciting, (laughs) so excited to get to do. Um, Now, (sighs) unbelievable. Um, If we have anybody who wants to call in and talk about that, again, call lines are open at 866-963-2037. Right now, I want to listen to Maria Bartiromo talking about the credibility in the Mueller probe Unless Clinton is also investigated. And this is kind of important, I thought, uh, in the big scheme of things, because so Maria Bartiromo has this background in Wall Street, but she interviews all of the best people. and She has these fantastic legal minds on her show. And so th- this is one of those interviews. It's number four.
3: if you 're if you're dispassionate about this and not involved in the mix the hyperventilating by um, the opposition party about you know trying to take down a president, if you looked at this dispassionately, I do not believe that Bob Mueller is Um, is positioned to bring a federal felony campaign finance violation against a sitting president. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Now this may be the subject of information that is disclosed in a report that Bob Mueller submits to Rod Rosenstein at the end of this investigation and ultimately that would be sent on to Congress uh, and released to the public. It might be the subject obviously of some consideration depending on in whose hands the House of Representatives is. That's right. About an impeachment inquiry but we're a long way away from that and also again you know, going back to the evidence, just because the uh, Mr. Trump's lawyer. It says that he was directed by the candidate to do this doesn't mean that Donald Trump was complicit, knowingly complicit, in a, in a federal felony. And all this talk yesterday about, well, this proves that, you know, Donald Trump was involved in a conspiracy to violate the law, I think that's well short of the mark. I mean, that would, you know, we're, we have a, lot, a long way to go, and a prosecutor would have a long way to go before, you know, such a case would ever be brought.
4: And And that's totally... Like that—that's where the rubber meets the road here. Not only because we—we we got to hear from, um, you know, Ann Coulter about this same subject, and she has the whole thing laid out in the book, but the person you heard speaking there is Robert Ray. Um, he's a f- prominent litigator and former federal prosecutor and independent counsel for the Whitewater investigation. So he's got some experience with this stuff, and I, of course, with the sh- the time being short and. Um, Ann Coulter needing to go on to other interviews and and she's got a tight schedule. I'd actually highlighted this at the end of the book. Um, It's such an amazing quote. And what I did was I went through and I kind of, I I skipped to the end. Like I was about halfway through last night. I was running out of time. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't get through. So I went to the end and read the last chapter because I had to, I had to know at least what the end of the book was. And so I've really got, I've got less than half of it left to read. And so In this last page, she says the country will be in very bad shape if Trump doesn't arise from his torpor and keep his campaign promises. But if we get nothing else from his presidency, at least the media will be totally discredited. He brings out the best in them. Trump may be shallow, narcissistic, disloyal and the crudest kind of braggart, but he's like chemotherapy for the country. It's unpleasant to go through. You vomit, your hair falls out, but it kills cancer cells and you live. Trump's presidency may be an unpleasant thing to go through, but everyone on the New York Times editorial board will die. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe Trump will keep his promises and end up on Mount Rushmore, his granite hair impervious to the breeze. As he likes to say, we'll see. I encourage you to get the book and read it. I It's a page turner. And I just, you know how it is when you have to do life. We had I had some actual school things to do today with, at the kids' school, which was... Uh, A really good start back to the beginning of the school year. But this was a real treat today. Um, And so I'm, if, if you might not, I don't think we have any callers right now. I don't see any callers over here on, I'm using my phone again um, on the call screening. So I want to also cover a little bit more of just the, the ridiculousness of this news. Um, And I have, and I also want to point out on, on the, the YouTube live stream, we've got people on there talking about they, they thought the interview was great. They're planning on buying the book. A couple people have already ordered the book and it should be there in a couple of days, <laughs> you know, Amazon, two days. And so if you're, if you're in that group, you guys, um, I would love it if you guys would tweet me the pictures. I, I have one on my Instagram if you want to see what I'm talking about. I have my Ann Coulter book and I'm holding it up in front of a picture of the book on the Amazon page. And I put that on my Instagram and it went out over Twitter and Facebook too. So if you want to do that, that would be super cool for us to do to kind of commemorate the fun here. And I am uh, pursuing a second interview so we can talk about that other subject from her book, Adios America. This is super important. Um, I, I think sometimes people can do research and you read it and you're like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Other times the research that they do, that they, they bring you information, it literally can change your view of something. And I, when I was, reading Adios America, and I read what Ann Coulter write about the shared history of of American blacks and whites, but because of the Civil War, I felt like in that moment that I read that, and then I shared it with my family, that it was kind of a game changer, because it's not that I didn't know that all of us know the history of this country and how we have slavery and all of that. But to term it the way she did about the the connection that we have, that we're one people, the, that black Americans who trace their lineage back to, you know, the Civil War and before and white Americans with the same background. So families that have been here for generations, that we're really one people group. And that is something unique to say, because when you look at white Americans and black Americans, we don't really look that much alike. You know, it's, it's not like you look at, the, oh, you look like your sisters with that lady. No, but we are we're actually that that's how closely tied together we are. And that's something important that she has uh, really expounded upon in her book is so it's so well done. And so I want to, you know, go into that with her so that you listeners can hear it straight from her. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, you know, get audios America on audible and listen to her, explain it to you. Uh, But she hopefully will be back with us shortly as soon as we can make schedules work to talk about that. So, In addition to the the news about, um, you know, the unindicted co-conspirator Donald Trump, according to Cohen, who has now proven himself to be a disloyal turncoat and an individual who, um, you know, he, he clearly he didn't know what he was doing with his his business prospects. And he didn't have a clear understanding of the law. And now he's gotten outside of it and he's been drawn into something that. Well, you know, honestly, if he'd never been associated with Donald Trump, he'd have gotten away with this as Democrats have done. Generations of Democrats have gotten away with the same type of activity that Cohen just had to make a plea deal over. The only reason they need a plea deal from Cohen on this is because they want to ensnare Donald Trump. That's it. They don't care anything about prosecuting him. He's a means to an end. But there's also this story about this young woman, Molly Tibbetts. Now, I want to point out that there's already been online, if you go to, uh, I believe the Right Scoop has a couple stories, most of the right-leaning outlets are now documenting the heinous Free Beacon. In fact, I believe we're going to listen to a little bit of audio from uh, an MSNBC guest made some flippant remarks about Molly Tibbet. Basically, the left feels like this death is just an inconvenient support for Donald Trump's uh, you know, fervor about immigrations and customs enforcement agents and wanting to support them as law enforcement officials, and his desire for a wall. This is just another example of how leftists can take the death of a young woman who was innocent out on a jog in broad daylight running for health and fitness. They can take that, the senseless murder of this young woman, and turn it into a political football completely desensitized from the fact that this was a living, breathing girl. And for people out there who are, you know, I've I've even seen some people saying, well, why should we care about Molly Tibbetts? These young black women have been kidnapped. No, I care about all of them. It's not as if a human being can't care about Molly Tibbetts and also care about other women who aren't getting as much publicity as Molly Tibbetts's family has been able to get for her. But the fact is, it is very inconvenient for Democrats that after Kate Steinle, and they effectively remove the sting of the death of Kate Steinle from all of the public eye except people on the right. And they did that to the to complete horror of her family to see their daughter dehumanized in the media because she was killed by an illegal alien. And now here we are. They're going to do it again. They're going to completely dehumanize Molly Tibbetts, who if you look at her tweets. What is especially galling about it is that Molly Tibbetts appears to have been somewhat of a liberal. Somewhat of a, you know, you know, on the D side. But they're literally now going to dehumanize her and act as if she didn't matter because an illegal alien killed her. They would rather a white Trump supporter killed her so they could actually be sad about her death. But because an illegal immigrant killed her, they're not going to be able to feel anything at all. I, I mean, it is stunning, but just take my mark my words. That's where they're headed with this. Not only are they no longer going to talk about her, in 24 hours the story will have disappeared from the media completely. And they will never ever hold to task this person who did this to her because he's an illegal immigrant. He's in a protected class. Unbelievable. Let's go to the phones. We have Oh, we have a couple minutes here. Jacob in Alabama, thank you for calling the show. Are you there? Oh. Hi, I can hear you now. How is how? Thanks for calling in.
8: <laughs> yeah, um, in, in reference to what you're saying, um, first of all, I think this will help you out a whole lot. Remember that the Democratic Party and the media—they have taken it to the point of being demonically possessed. And the other thing, when you mentioned about Kate—not uh, Kate Stanley, but this other Amali—is uh, that a lot of people uh, in the black community and on the other side of the aisle, they don't understand certain things about forgiveness, and I'm looking at um, Matthew 6:14 and 15, and the Lord says this, if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you the wrongs you have done, okay? But after that, did you ever notice that it said, except African Americans?
4: <laughs> uh, no, I'm pretty sure it doesn't it say true. that. <laughs> yeah, it, it don't. It don't make no exceptions.
8: We all have to forgive from the heart. Whoever has done us wrong with this past, present, or future, we are one people. And, 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 and a lot of people don't get that. They think, well, no, I'm the exception because I'm African American, I'm Jewish, or whatever. No, we all have to forgive the way Jesus forgave. And
4: there's no excuse to do anything less. All right, I I gotta I can't disagree with you. Um, thank you so much for calling the show. An excellent point. Uh, and I and and someone has actually tweeted me. Amoritus Eric tweeted me about the MSNBC guest who made the statements about Molly Tibbet. The, the thoughtless statements. She actually apologized, and a lot of people are on Twitter in my timeline saying, you know, I can't believe you're accepting the apology. it's, it's a non-apology. And he says, should her apology be accepted or should she be eternally shunned from the face of the planet like those people on the right who've tried to apologize for past misgivings? Well, that's a huge double standard. You're right. People on the right have to be run out of the rails, you know, completely dissed and dismissed like Roseanne Barr. People on the left like uh, Samantha B, they can say horrible things and keep their jobs. It's a double standard. But it doesn't mean that we're held to less of a standard because we recognize other people aren't being held to a standard because ultimately we will all be judged in exactly the same way and nothing will be missed. All right, we'll be back with more after these messages. It'll be hour two coming up.